so glad you're here. My name is David Hurtado. If you're new to us, I'm lead pastor here and so excited that you're here. We do this thing every week where afterwards, if you're new to us, please come meet me. I'll be out on the patio hanging out. Um, you know, there's, you know, coffee and punch or whatever out there. If you want to hang out a little while and kind of put a face on the name and get to know you, I'd love to interact with you and your family or people that are in from out of town. I'd love to be able to do that. And so we'll do that afterwards. I was the kid, um, 12 years old, who uh, sold the chocolates at the store, you know, who was at like Vaughn's, you know, and stand outside and sold the chocolates. You know, sometimes they put on these, these fundraisers at your school and they would say, if you sell these chocolates, you get a prize. Uh, you know, if you sell the most chocolates of any kid in the school, you get $300. I won that thing like two years running. Um, I, we we're selling the world's finest chocolate. It's a lie. Ghirardelli's is much better. But they convince you with the label that it's the world's finest chocolate. And, and they give you like three weeks time. And, and you're supposed to sell as many chocolates as possible. I would set a goal for myself anywhere between 18 and 21 boxes. I figured I, could sell, I should be able to sell one box a day. That was my goal. And so, and then on the weekends, I should be able to sell much, much more. And so I was, uh, you know, a little chubby Hispanic kid out in front. I would, I didn't have a lot of parental uh, involvement, unfortunately, growing up, just the way life happened. And so I would stay out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night out in front of Vaughn's, you know, type of grocery store until 10, 10, 15, 10, 30, 10, 45, even bordering on 11 p.m. And I had this little strategy that I would use, uh, if you're a little chocolate seller kid, you'll like this. Um, it works. I would wait until a little old lady comes up and I go, excuse me, ma'am, would you like to buy my last three candy bars so I can go home? It's kind of cold. <laughs> worked. It worked. Sometimes they wouldn't even take it. Here, just take the money. Just go home. Go home, you know. <laughs> little black little ladies. Come here, son. Come over here. Come here, my boy. You got to go home. You got to get warm, you know, type of thing. And then I'd, I'd walk home, and I grew up in the hood, so I'm walking. I got all this money in my pocket. I'm walking down dark alleys. I'm going, but I was not going to go home unless that box of chocolate was sold. I was going to be able to report the next day that I sold a box. Uh, that, was, that was me. That was my mentality. Uh, and, uh, you know, I won two years running. The third year, I was ahead until the Averells got together. It was like five kids in that family, and they ganged up on me. <laughs> All of a sudden, Cheryl Averill is the only one reporting boxes, and all the other kids aren't reporting. And all of, then they beat me by 10 boxes. They just ganged up on me like that. And, and I'm still bearded about today, those jerks. <laughs> I remember one time I had sold a box. Um, you know, I'd go all around town, walking all over the place, taking the bus, wherever I could go to sell these, these chocolates. And uh, I had sold a box, I was heading home with the money so I could get another box and go back out again and sell more, you know. Uh, this would just take over my life for three weeks. It was just a goal. My, you, know, when I, when, you know, when I have a goal in my mind, when B is, B is and I can see it, I'm going to run towards it. And I was coming home, and as I came home, I went, oh, my gosh, where'd the money go for that box of chocolate? At the time, there was 36 candy bars in, 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 in a box. It was $1 each. Now I think they're like $15 each. It's ridiculous. But anyway, um, I, you know, so I had, about, I had two $20 bills. Somebody had given me change or gave me a tip or something. I just turned that into buying more chocolates and, you know, keep on going type of thing. And I had two $20 bills. And I thought, okay, I'll go home. I'll drop off the money, and then I'll get the new box, and I'll go. I got home. Found There's plenty of boxes in my house for me to go sell. I can't find the money. I went, oh, my gosh. I lost the 40 bucks. And I thought to myself, my mom told me, you can sell all these chocolates. You can go anywhere around town. You can go to San Francisco for all you want. We we're 30 minutes away. Take the bar. If you want. I don't care what you do, but if you lose the money, and I have to pay for the box of chocolates, that's when you're done. I went, oh my gosh, I lost the box. Now I'm retracing my steps for the whole day. 
I go to Kmart because I'm hanging out there. I go to the pizza parlor because I was trying to get pizza people to buy chocolate. I go to the bowling alley down every aisle of the bowling alley trying to sell chocolate. There is the billiards. I went to the billiards. There's these biker guys would, would play pool and they'd shoot pool for money. And I was like, I want to play. I got 40 bucks. And uh, they would never do it. They were, they were nice biker guys. But anyway, the, the point is I went everywhere I was that day. And I'm trying to figure out where did this money go, and I can't find it. I can't find it. Finally, I go home. I'm dejected. I've walked probably two, three, four miles. I'm just disappointed because I tell my mom that I lost the money. I thought, you know what? Let me just check the carport. Mom gave me a ride this morning to my first stop. Maybe the money fell off, or when it came back, or maybe it's, maybe it's sitting there in the carport. So I go up to the carport, and I look down on the ground, and lo and behold, there's two wadded-up bills on the ground. So I grab them. I can see their money. I jump up and down. I mean, you think I won the lottery. Yes, I found it. I go to, go to my house. I go to my brother. Look, I found it. I found it. Look, I found the two water to bills. And so I open one of them up, and it's a $20 bill. And I open the other one up, and it's a $50 bill. And then it hits me. I didn't find the money I lost. I found somebody else's money that they lost. <laughs> and then I'm thinking to myself, I live in the hood. So who has crumbled up, wadded up dollar bills, like 50s and 20s like that? must be a drug dealer. And I'm thinking to myself, it's like a Robin Hood visited the chubby Hispanic kid in the hood and, and helped the little Hispanic kid out, you know? That's like not only one box of chocolates, that was like two. And so, you know, in the hood, you don't turn that stuff in, you keep it. And so... <laughs> But I was so excited, so excited that something that I had lost was found. Something, I, a, a, for me, a 12-year-old kid, a, a huge monetary value that I could not come up with on my own, that somehow, you know, God provided it for me, type of thing, you know. Have you ever lost something so precious and so valuable to yourself? Have you ever lost it? And do you remember the feeling when you were able to find it again? Remember my wife and I went camping three years ago, and she lost the wedding ring in our tent. What do you do when that happens? You scour the tent. That wedding ring's worth more than my car. You know, you, you find, and, and then the elation when you find it, oh my gosh, we found this. Something that was uh, valuable or meaningful to you, a, 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 a heirloom of the family, a necklace, a wallet, an iPhone. You remember that feeling that you found, that you had when you found it all again? We're going to look at that idea today, and we're going to look at this idea of finding things that have been lost. How does it feel when you find something that was lost? And what if that lost item is a person? How would that feel? What kind of treasures are buried in the lost and found? We're going to look at that. And for that, we're going to be in the book of Luke. So I encourage you to open your Bible right now. You bought a bound Bible, open it up for yourself. If you have a phone, certainly open that up. Get the YouVersion app and follow along with us. We have nothing to say except for what comes from this word of God. And we're going to be in Luke in chapter 15 is what we're going to look at today together. We're going to take a pause from our series in the book of Mark just for this week. It's Easter kind of... Uh, focusing in on the Easter theme, the Easter message, what Easter is all about. But we're going to be looking at um, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. We'll read together. I tell this message, Reckless Love. We just sang a song about reckless love. The message is about reckless love. We're actually going to come back later and sing it again, Reckless Love of God. And that idea comes from this passage in Luke chapter 15. So, treasures located in the lost and found is what we're looking at today. Number one, lost sheep. The lost sheep. Let's read it together. The lost sheep. Uh, chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, kind of thing. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. It just means a short story. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. 
Okay, now you're a farmer. You have 100 sheep. You lose. What does that person do? Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one sheep until he finds it? Question mark. Obvious answer to everybody in their mind is yes. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you the truth, the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Uh, that, that passage right there is what, what the song was written on, was that idea that comes from that passage. And so we see this lost sheep. It's a little story that Jesus was sharing to try to convey a point. But really the context is so important. The first, the first verse there. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is such an important contextual idea because it's going to set up not only this little story of the, uh, the lost sheep, but two other ones that have the exact same point. So here's the picture. Jesus comes into town and he's attracting the wrong kind of company. Uh, um, the religious leaders are saying, why are you hanging out with the scum of the earth? Why are you hanging out with those who are of low stature? Why are you hanging out with those with, with, with bad character? Why are you associating with them? We would never do that. And you are. And you're supposed to be religious, supposed to be holy and set apart. Why are you hanging out with them? You do realize, Jesus, if you want to make any dent in this whole religious affiliation or this whole religious influence, you're going to need us. We're the religious leaders. We validate and authenticate things that are from God. And right now, we're not validating you. And we won't authenticate your ministry if you're going to hang out with the scum of the earth. And that's the context of this. And then Jesus says, well, let me just tell you a story. And he goes into this story that would be very, very understandable in their culture. They're not all farmers, but they're very, very aware of farming uh, kind of ideology. And I think it even makes sense to us. Imagine if you were a farmer and you had these sheep. They're your livelihood. And you have 100 sheep, and one of them goes missing. What do you do? Well, okay, we go, I don't know what, what, what we do. Well, in that culture, yes, we must find that one. And it makes sense why you would have to find that one. Because these sheep are more than just my pets that I enjoy and name and, and, and you know, teach them to sit and roll over. These, these things are our livelihood. And if every day I lost one sheep after 100 days, how many sheep would I have? And what would happen to my livelihood? I would have none. And so the idea that a farmer would say, I've lost one. Oh, well, I still have 99. No way. I must go after that one. Absolutely must go after and search and search and search until I find them. And then once I find them, I put them on my shoulders. Now, here's uh, 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 culturally speaking or contextualizing this. Understand this. What a shepherd would do is put it on his shoulders so that the, the sheep's belly would be on his neck and actually break a leg. He would break a leg and then splint it together so that it would heal. And then take all four legs and tie them together around his neck. And then the entire time that that lamb was healing from that broken leg, what would it learn? You know, when I stray too far off from my shepherd, I get myself in trouble. But if I stay close to him, like on his shoulders, I'm safe. And during that healing process, he would learn to stay close.